Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. So after I got out of the hospital, I found out that my girlfriend had told my little sister that we had a secret and that we were together. So she, she outed us to my little sister and I had no idea why. I still don't. <laughs> Very confusing. I can only imagine that like the stress of the situation of, of me being in the hospital and the different attention that I was getting brought something up in her and I, I still don't understand why though. But anyway, the sister that she is, you know, brought it up to me and said, you know, what's going on? What is this? I immediately went on the defensive. I said, I don't know. She's crazy. I don't know what she's talking about. That's not even true. And I thought that I had done a good job of pushing it under the rug and, and kind of smoothing things over with her that she wouldn't go and tell my parents. I think she immediately did. <laughs> After our conversation, immediately went and told my parents. In today's episode, we have a brilliant young therapist who's about to graduate with her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, planning to set up shop in Idaho. But for today, she shares with us an incredible journey of what it felt like to be a child in the LDS community, coming out in a way that was rather shocking. Her life and her wisdom, I think, is enthralling, and I am beguiled with her story. I hope you enjoy. Let's take a listen. Maybe just kind of give us a little intro on kind of maybe a little bit of a background where you're from, kind of let's set the stage a little bit. Okay, yeah. Um, my name is Heidi Red Mauer. <laughs> Spent most of most of my life in in a small town in Idaho. That's where I grew up. Um, cute little sugar city, Idaho. Uh, born in a very religious. Um, family with three siblings. I'm like smack dab in the middle of them. Um, Yeah, lived that small town life for my entire life until I uh, graduated from my um, undergrad and then I got into graduate school here in Denver. Um, And that's kind of what what brought me here. What what uh, yeah, it's been a weird journey, but but that's kind of how how I got here. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Um, why Denver? What, what was it about Denver that brought you out here? Hmm. Um, after, after I met my, my wife, I, um, I married into the, the Broncos fan (laughs) club. (laughs) (laughs) He is a diehard Broncos fan. Um, and I knew when I was applying to graduate schools that, um, I needed something different. I needed a different environment um, because I had lived in the same town for, you know, 22 years of my life. I knew that I needed a challenge. I needed something different. Um, And Colorado and Denver is very similar to um, Idaho, you know, like the outdoors and and camping and hiking and um, snowboarding and doing all of the things that we both enjoy. and going to a professional basketball football game, you know, so that that was um, a lot of things kind of played into that, but um, most of it being we could live the life that we enjoy here. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Growing up in Sugar City um, with needing that change, what kind of 
challenges do you feel like you needed? Um, there were a lot of things. Uh, I think probably the biggest one for both of us was the social aspect of, of our lives in Sugar City and in Idaho Falls. Um, after growing up and, and, and start, you know, getting into the adult world of life, you hang out in these social circles, you know, and they, they all have similar interests. Um, and that was the same for us, but there was a lot of toxicity going around in those circles. Um, that, that it was, it was just, it was time for a new scene. It was time for a new scenery to meet new people and explore the world a little bit. Um, and we had just gotten married too. And <laughs> I, <laughs> if you, if you need a challenge, you know, right after you get married, move to a new city that you've never <laughs> been to before. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's the real, that's the real kicker. It really was. <laughs> I can, I can only imagine yeah. so yeah. much newness and getting to know each other in such a different way. Yeah. And I, and I think looking back, like, I, I really don't think that we would feel as connected or really understand each other at the level we do now if we hadn't come here mm -hmm. and, and, you know, have been challenged and been pushed out of our comfort zones. So for sure, all in all, it was a good decision. It's been uncomfortable at times, but it's, uh, it's been really good for us, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I do think often it's one of my favorite things to kind of think about and talk about but the attachment style you mm. know as we're kind of creating that attachment to someone it's not being the perfect partner that creates the deepest bond it's actually the fracture and the repairing mm -hmm. that helps us um, create a fortified relationship almost like when the bone breaks and it heals at that spot it's actually more calcified. It's, it has kind of a stronger binding in that spot. Mm -hmm. That makes the bone even more structurally sound. And it sounds like you guys have had a lot of good fractures, but also even better repairs. Yes, that is a beautiful way to put it. Um, a lot of rupture and repair this last year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine you, I, d I don't, I've never seen any photos or anything, but you as like a little girl in that religious sugar city home. And I have some assumptions and I, I wonder if they're accurate, but do you feel like it was a safe environment or a challenging environment for you to grow up as a lesbian in that community? Yes, <laughs> very, very, a very heavy yes. Okay. Um, as I, th as I think back to that environment though, in growing up in that um, just religious community, um, because everybody that I went to school with, 99% of them were part of the church um they were white and they were part of they were lds you know that that that's that was the demographic of 
Sugar City, and it still is. Um, so if you were in you know, any way, shape, or form different than the status quo, uh, you stood out in a really bad way. Um, so, so experiencing those feelings at a, at a pretty young age, you know, starting in junior high, um, I felt like I, there was no choice but to hide, mm. but to make myself smaller and fit and try to, you know, try and fit in. Mm. Um, but my goodness, I still didn't. Um, Mm-hmm. Oh, I wish that like I could slap a picture up here of, of me in junior high because it's <laughs> so awful. Mm-hmm. Um, slicked back ponytail, you know, and no makeup and wearing super baggy clothes. And, you know, I, looking back, I thought that I really did a good job of, of hiding me at, you know, who I was at my core. <laughs> but looking at those pictures now, um, my wife especially is like looking at those and she's like your parents really didn't know (laughs) (laughs) just like yeah so maybe I didn't do a good job of it because I I really was different Mm -hmm. my appearance anyway and I think probably my mannerisms too but um all in all in that environment it was really difficult to to kind of navigate those social environments with that with without myself, you know, leading the way Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. because I, because she was, she was no, she was not a part of any of that. (laughs) Yeah. It almost sounds like you were kind of a shell of yourself, most of you in the closet and kind of this echo of you walking around out in public. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very much a shell of me and then an internal a battle of, okay, well, this can't be me. Even though I'm hiding, you know, who I feel like I am, I shouldn't be this way. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in the church, it's, it's very, um, it's an apostasy. That's what they teach it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so with with those kind of teachings and, and doctrine in my head for for you know my entire life, um, thinking that you are the worst thing that you could possibly be, like in the in the sight of Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father and your eternal family, I think that was more soul shattering than having to hide myself from my friends Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking of you know your parents looking at that middle schooler walking around and taking those photos and it I I I know that this happens in religious contexts everywhere but it's almost like it wasn't something your parents were protecting you from this loss of self this dividing you into an echo and a shell a closeted person and kind of this uh, ghost walking around, but it was something they were affirming, maybe unknowingly, but they were really helping create that split. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, 
and I really don't know like what, how I would have experienced that differently if they had known what I was, you know, feeling and experiencing at that age. I wonder um, what their reaction would have been in terms of, of going to church and being taught all of the things that I, that I was. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you fear that they would have maybe responded in a bad way? Like a way that reaffirmed your apostasy? I mean, the, the only comparison I have is, is to, you know, the way that they actually responded. Um, and to me, it was affirming of that, that, you know, I was committing a, a horrible thing Mm. and they needed to fix it Mm -hmm. but i don't know i i mean i'm sure that my my mom will 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 listen to this so maybe maybe it can be a conversation um because i'm really curious too like what if that would have been different for me yeah i've got the pleasure of working with hundreds maybe even thousands of parents Mm -hmm. over the last 11 years religious parents of kiddos coming out. And one common narrative that they have been taught is that the homosexual kiddo comes from an overbearing, demanding, smothering mother and a checked out, aloof, in the, head, in the clouds father. Mm. And I think when religious parents hear that their kids are coming out or they, they hear of other kids coming out and they talk about it as parents in the community, they have that tone, that almost responsibility. And a lot of parents bring guilt into the office saying, what did we do to our kid? Or even if they're not brave enough to say that, they're still kind of calculating that in the back of their minds. Mm. And I often see when a gay kiddo doesn't try to be straight, the parents often get really angry because it's their reputation on the line. And I think that's a very common experience for many religious parents. Yeah. It's sad sad that that kind of narrative is prolific in the religious communities. It is, it is, yeah. And I, and as you say that, I, um, I think that that was definitely their reaction. Mm. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking of this picture in my head. There's mom and dad who are holding one narrative, but also clinging to their beliefs. They're probably watching you grow up, you know, (laughs) um, put on the baggy clothes, slick back that hair. What part of you is in the closet? You said you were kind of trained to feel small. What part of you was left in there? I knew from very, very early, a very young age that I, I was different than my sisters um, and my friends, all of my girlfriends. I, I just knew that I, something was different um, in like elementary school. I refused to wear girl clothes. Like I would, when we would go like, you know, 
shopping in the summer before school started, I would refuse to shop with my mom in the girl section. I would shop in the, you know, the little boy section for elementary school and I refused to do anything else. Um, you know, crying at, at uh, family photos because my mom wanted me to put lipstick on and I didn't want to. Um, and then probably starting in like third or fourth grade, I, I, my feelings for my closest like girlfriends, I think started to change for me a little bit. They started to feel um, deeper, deeper in like, in an intimate way. Meaning like I, I was yearning for more of a closeness with them than, than, than a friendship would have, would have given me. Um, and those, were, those were the feelings that, that were, um, scared me very much at first, um, because of, you know, everything that I was being taught. So I think for that was when those were the feelings that started to be pushed down. Sure. Pushed down and left behind. Yes. You know, I think it's very peculiar, maybe um, unique to the queer experience, but I don't think many other populations of people have to leave behind their desires for love, for connection, for belonging. Mm. You know, I think that uh, it's a very unique experience to say the thing that I'm dealing with, if you will, requires me to leave behind the desires that are so innocent and pure. Mm. And I think part of the coming out experience, I always talk about coming out as a six phase process, but this is the sixth phase is to pull those desires out of the closet and say, these were never dirty. And so how do I let them feel clean in my body as I experience them after coming out? That's quite a process. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. because I honestly believe they live in us as an experience of feeling shame when I want to be protected or loved or belonging or seen by the same gender I feel guilty that I have that experience within my body that craving in my belly and in my chest and as we come out to let that experience now be recategorized as innocent acceptable and not even that but beautiful that that is our compass guiding us toward love and connection. Mm. It's a difficult thing to do though. For sure. How do you feel like you're reconciling with those desires now in marriage? I, very, it's very complex I think because I, um, I still care very deeply about what my family thinks thinks of me and thinks of of my life um, and my wife and and the things that I choose to do. So I think when I when I have those moments of of guilt or shame because of the feelings that I have. Um, I think a lot of it stems stems from 
that sense of, I will always be different than my parents and my siblings. And I, and I don't know if there, if, if there will ever be a time or a point in my life where they feel like, where I feel like they understand those feelings or emotions or those yearnings that I have. And I don't think that they'll ever see them as okay. Mm. And I think that's the part that really gets me. Um, For sure. Is that the people that I'm closest to will never condone of the love that I have Mm. for my life. Right. You know, I, I, I feel the, the pain here and the, the strong longing for, for them to understand. And I, one of the pieces, again, that's unique for the queer experiences, especially for those of us who grew up in religious circles and backgrounds, but we often talk of sin as a behavior. The thing, you know, I lied, I um, cheated, or whatever it is that we did we did with our bodies, but for the queer experience, the sin isn't what we've done quite necessarily, but how we feel. Yeah. And that I think puts a lot more shame and inspires a lot more shame because I think the nine-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 13, 16-year-old queer person is saying, I haven't even done anything physically, but I know that I'm feeling something. And then it's not your behavior that's your enemy, it's your own involuntary body, that implicit, hungry, emotional body that becomes our enemy. Mm. And I think that's so devastating. It's almost like our parents are, again, they're not protecting us from seeing ourselves as our own enemy, they're inspiring it. And I don't think they understand how dark that can be. I'm not sure if there's another internal dialogue that is seen in the same way either. Mm -hmm. For sure. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. I wanted to take a moment to let you know about a unique opportunity Queer Relationships is offering. Over the past 10 years, I've sat with people and couples and walked them through some pretty difficult times. We all want thriving lives, but creating the love lives and relationships we crave is a journey and Queer Relationships wants to help you on that journey. We're accepting inquiries from those who want to come on the show and sit with a therapist and gain some insight into their struggles. Whether that's helping you find peace with your identity, ways to emotionally handle an unsupportive or critical family, help getting past roadblocks in your sexual relationships, or maybe ways to save your relationship that you fear is headed for disaster. We're here to help. For more information about how to become a guest, visit www.iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. That's iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show. How did your parents respond when you came out? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, what a story. <laughs> yeah, you wrote about this in your blog that we have posted so people can go there and check it out. But yeah, give us a little bit of a snippet. So after I graduated high school, um, 
well, let me back up a tad. Um, so me and my best friend in high school, uh, she had graduated and gone off to college. Um, and I, and I was a junior at the time. Um, and I obviously had feelings for her, right? Like they were obviously deeper because, you know, as I mentioned, um, these feelings were pretty early on for me. Um, so anyway, I had feelings for my best friend that had graduated and, and moved away. Um, and one day after school, my junior year of high school, she texted me and said, I need to tell you something. <laughs> and I knew exactly what she was going to say. Um, and, it, you know, inside my head, I was screaming, finally, you know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone was finally going to reciprocate these feelings for me. And I like, I couldn't, I, it was crazy. It was, yeah, one of probably the most memorable, memorable days of my life when having that reciprocated. Um, it's like finally being able to eat when everybody's been gorging at the banquet table yes <laughs> it's exactly what it was um, so we had the conversation um you know we made the plan when she was going to come home to visit that you know we were going to do all this stuff and we were going to be a couple and that's kind of how um that relationship started for me um but it was definitely a secret to everybody. <laughs> um, so we were we were dating in secret for for like a year and a half. Um, then I graduated high school and I started to have uh, some gallbladder issues. So um, they decided that I needed it to be removed. So we did that in the summer after I graduated high school. Um, and I ended up having like some pretty serious complications from that surgery. So I had to um, go to the hospital and I spent 10 days there. Um, I had a couple more surgeries and it was awful. Um, but my, my secret girlfriend came to visit in the hospital um, and it was great, it was fine. Um, but I could tell that there was a lot of tension between her and my, and my family. Um, because I think we were getting to the point where it was like not very covert anymore. Like our, our feelings and like, we, were, we, we didn't do a very good job of hiding it at that point. <laughs> um, so after I got out of the hospital, I found out that my, my girlfriend had told my little sister that we had a secret and that we were together. Um, so she, she outed us to my little sister and I had no idea why. Um, I still don't, <laughs> very confusing. I can only imagine that like the stress of the situation of, of me being in the hospital and the different attention that I was getting kind of brought something up in her. And I, I still don't understand why though. Um, but anyway, the sister, that she is, you know, brought it up to me and said, you know, what's going on? What is this? Um, I immediately went on the defensive. I said, I don't know. She's crazy. I don't know what she's talking about. That's not even true. Um, and I thought that <clears throat> I had done a good job of, of, of kind of pushing it under the rug and, and kind of smoothing things over with her that she wouldn't go and tell my parents. Um, I think she immediately did <laughs> after our conversation immediately went and told my parents. Um, 
And the next day they took me into the computer room and sat me down and said, listen, your little sister told us this information. What's going on? Um, I still, you know, I, I told them that she was crazy and that was untrue. And, and um, I had no idea what, what she was talking about. Um, and this lasted for like a day. And then I came back and, and I told my parents that, that I was gay and that we were a couple and that I was planning to go <laughs> to college over there with her, the same college that she was at and we were going to live together. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that, uh, if someone's head could have exploded, I think that my dad's probably would have, um, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then that conversation led into a whole, a whole, um, a whole bunch more of very intense, emotional, very angry conversation. Mm -hmm. um, very shocking, very like, um, I just was not ready for it. Mm -hmm. right. um, she didn't, she didn't even tell me, she didn't even ask me if, if this was something that she could do. Um, it, it felt like somebody, somebody had taken a rug under my feet and just like whipped it. And I, you know, I was flat on my back and I couldn't even breathe. Mm -hmm. Um, oh my goodness. It's such a massive betrayal and yeah. like a total lack of not only consent, but making sure that you'd be safe. Yeah so exposing uh, yeah i would love to know her rationale mm -hmm. i don't know if i'll ever get it though mm -hmm. um, but yeah that's like that's the overall coming out story um and there's a million others after um, but it wasn't good. My, my parents were not happy with me. My dad wanted to, he wanted to kick me out of the house, but my mom wouldn't let him do that. Um, wow. Yeah. It almost sounds like there's a pain in you where something was taken from you. And it almost sounds like it created this wake behind it that that you're still experiencing like almost hear some pain still there i i think i <laughs> i think it's because i i never got that closure and and i mean after that day i was so furious with her and i remember our conversations of me being so pissed off because i didn't understand and i didn't get it and she wouldn't tell me why she wouldn't give me a reason why um, you know, and that was my, uh, like, like eight years ago. Like, it's so crazy that I probably will never get that explanation. So I think that part kind of bugs me still. Sure. It also, I'm making this up in my head, so I'll check in with you and see if it's accurate, but it almost seems like the way that you were forced to come out, set the stage between you and your parents, it created a dynamic and it almost sounds like I'm wondering if that dynamic is still at play and if some of the, the angst here is saying, I wanted a different dynamic with my family. 
I was planning and prepping to set a different tone so that I could live in that context now instead of the one that you forced me into. I, I've thought about this before and I really would, I really would love to believe that it would have been different. Mm -hmm. But I know my parents, you know, at their core, they're very intense people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. So I don't know if there was any way that I could have planned around it to make that dynamic the way that I would have loved. Sure. I do think, you know, in retrospect, that if she hadn't have outed us, um, it would have taken me a very long time to have that conversation with them. I think that that, that shocking event for me really propelled um, your outness. Yes, like very much. Your life. Yeah. <laughs> It was very, it was very difficult, but it, I, it felt like the dam had broken and, and the damage was probably going to be pretty bad, but that release, you know, it, it, um, it was amazing. Sure. Sounds like that release was a relief. It was, it was relief, but then in the same, um, you know, in the same moment, it was, uh, what have I, what have I done? What have I done to our family? Mm. You know? um, will it ever be the same? Yeah. I don't, I don't think that it ever will be. Mm -hmm. I can almost see your dad's head about ready to explode and your mom in despair and thinking from a religious standpoint, our daughter is choosing to betray us, the eternal family, the church, God, and choosing to align with something different than who we are and make these choices, the coming out, that the dating, those look like overt deviant behaviors. But I think for the queer experience, it's an alignment it's a going home i like to think of it like emotional chiropractics hmm. you know to walk with our joints all out of socket our back crooked it's painful and then as we start to come out and put everything back in its place it's a very necessary process for us to live out of our internal emotional truth as opposed to making decisions to do something with our bodies mm. and I don't think I don't think because straight parents ever question or become familiar with the mechanisms of their own sexuality because they don't have to mm. when we reckon ours and reconcile ours it's very confusing for them yeah mm. You know, and after that day, I, I continued, um, I continued to go to church because that's what they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was in my, my sophomore year of my undergrad and it was a Sunday morning and I was <laughs> putting my little dress on to go to church and, and I, and I, and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, why do you continue 
to do the things that pleases other people but has no value to you. And I, and I said, huh, well, I think, I think I'm going to stop because I, it's not serving me anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and from that day, from that day on, it was like, hmm, I think that I, I, I don't need to go to church anymore because I don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I should have the power to choose that for myself. For sure. In that context, it often, it sounds like for you, self-protection felt selfish. Yes. It's selfish of me to want to protect myself mm-hmm. because it makes other people angry. Mm-hmm. So much easier too to just do, do the things that is asked of you. Mm-hmm. Instead of going against the grain and being rebellious. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Or I, I like your phrasing. Mine might be something like going against the grain to stay intact, to stay self-accepting. Mm. Mm-hmm. I often wonder if a lot of us say, I am valuable to my family because I stay closeted because I pretend and play along. And when I do that, it keeps them happy with who I am. And then when we assert our voices and we live in our truth and we start protecting ourselves, it's so easy for the narrative to say, I am selfish, I'm hurting them, I'm a jerk. And it's my fault that they're in pain. Mm. And I, that's part of phase six is to say, no, I don't deserve to feel guilty, nor is it appropriate. But my self-protection is good and beautiful. My voice, my life's trajectory, embracing my desires, all of those things are clean and beautiful, and I deserve them. Mm. Because I think that's how we start to embrace our inherent value. Yeah, I totally agree. I as I as I think about you know this phase six, um, and you said that you know it takes a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> and my goodness, we're still in it. I, sure. <laughs> um, you know, because I I have two parents, three siblings, three siblings in law. They all have different perspectives. They they all. Um, you know, have, have experienced the church in a different way and in the doctrine that it teaches in a different way. Um, and they have all had to, to come to terms, however they have with, with me and, and Heather. Mm -hmm. And that's not a simple process. No, no. Even, even if, even if I have been ready for that process to, to come to an end for, for decades, you know, I, um, and that requires patience on my part and, and probably should require more conversation on my part that, um, that I haven't engaged in. Yeah. It does take a long time. You know, I'm 37 and I came out when I was 22 
and Joe and I have dated on and off for a little while, but over the span of like 11 years. And with the George Floyd protests, um, one day my mom called me and she was like almost livid on the phone. And I was like, mom, what has happened? <laughs> and in kind of this angry, but almost kind of broken voice, she said, son, I finally get it. I finally get the pain that you've been carrying. And she said, I want you to know from now on, I will stand up to help defend you. And no one is ever allowed to down talk you ever again in my presence. Hmm. And I, my parents have gone on an amazing journey. I have five other cousins that are queer. Uh, one of them is a lawyer and she had an amazing talk with my parents. And I think my parents observing my joy and my authenticity and, and seeing what it what it's capable of in the world is one of the most powerful tools that helps them see the beauty that we bring and the innocence and what it's actually about. It's not about being deviant and doing things sexually with our body. Mm. It's about living out the love that they preach about. Yeah. And I think that's a very powerful agent. Mm. As you experience that love with your wife, Heather, I know it might sound like a weird question, but are you glad of the steps that you've taken? Are you glad where you landed? Oh, for sure. I mean, like our, um, <laughs> our, our whole journey, um, that's like a whole different podcast show. And there has been uh, a lot of shit from the very beginning. Um, and, and as I kind of fortify this relationship with her, um, I think we're going on, oh no, I think four years in the fall, maybe five. I don't know, oh no. <laughs> um, um, but as I, as I kind of look at myself in this relationship, um, it has really opened my eyes to how toxic and unhealthy um, my first, lesbian relationship was like it was really it was not okay on so many different levels um and because I found I found Heather and she's pushed me in different ways um I I do think that I'm I'm a much better partner because of because of her of her experience um being burned you know and I've been burned and um, I think we've just come together in, in such a, a healing way for each other that we've been able to create a really strong foundation, mm. you know, for longevity for, for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think it's really crazy how, how somebody so good at, at their core, who they are as a person, um, can can make everything else you know you really see everything else for what it was mm -hmm. right it all kind of the camera comes into focus in a sense and mm -hmm. when you rewatch the video and focus it all makes sense yeah yeah mm -hmm.
Uh, I hope maybe a closeted queer person listening to this episode, a teen or even an adult, can hear your story as hope, you know? It's a play on words, but it almost sounds like even though you're not in Idaho, you're still living in Sugar City. You have all of the sweetness around you. <laughs> oh, Sugar City will, will be <laughs> always be part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but ooh, I have some strong feelings about that place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do, but your marriage sounds like a different kind of sugar city. <laughs> so, I think so. I can imagine that little girl with a slicked back ponytail wearing her baggy clothes, wondering where home will finally show up. You know, I think home in our religious context with our parents and our siblings has a certain quality to it with fond memories and a lot of warmth. But as queer children, there's still this part of us that craves to feel unconditional belonging. In other words, no matter what conditions I brought to the table as a little queer child, I wanted to feel emotionally home. And that didn't happen until I came out and started dating the first man of my life. I think there seems to be a particular anger burning within me, and it almost feels like Mama Bear coming out that says, I want to protect all of us in the queer community from that splitting we have to do to survive our childhood environments. I leave my feminine, my creative, my artistic sides in the closet. I leave my emotional yearnings in the closet and put on a mask so that other people are happy with who I am. I think queer children are hiding very brilliant and creative and beautiful parts of themselves just to belong. That being trained to stay small is what feels like our emotional home from the very beginning. If I stay small, I stay home. And that in a major way feels like a very subtle rejection. One moment after one moment after one moment. And it's no wonder that some of us carry this subtle feeling of just not being good enough until we experience that relief. And we see people celebrate our most inner core, the creative, the feminine, the queer, the gender fluid, the out, the proud the kisses with our lovers on the forehead and the way we hold hands, our smiles as we walk around the pool and the affection that we share at home. That as we expose people to our authenticity and they reaffirm its innocence and its beauty is a coming home, not only a coming out. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and until next time. Tips is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.